Revington. Matt, it's what's going on, buddy? It is 2023. Welcome to the Listen to This Bull live show. This is the show where we talk about bullshit in the insurance world. It's a live show. We get commentary and questions from the audience, and you guys get to participate if you watch it live. If you're listening to this in the car while driving or something, I guess you're still cool. But you're not as cool. <laughs> and be careful as the attorney. Be careful participating if you are driving. Just want to throw yes, that that's out. True. That's true. Please Save be a passenger. Um, we got a gentleman named Jeremy Rettig. 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 He's going to tell me how I pronounced that wrong probably in a few minutes. Uh, he's in the wings right now, and he runs a school called Adjusters uh, University. So he's been teaching um, insurance adjusters, uh, independent adjusters, how to be an independent adjuster for some time now. And we've got him in the wings ready to tell us all the bullshit that IAs have to go through. Uh, but first, we're going to play the promo. Don't forget that we are going to have the commentary up and running. So if you have any questions for our guest or for us in general, this show is uh, driven by the commentary and the questions. So don't forget to post those as soon as you can. All right, I'm going to bring him on. Do you have anything you want to add before we do that, Remington? <clears throat> no, I look forward to it. Um, I, I chit-chatted with Jeremy a little bit before we uh, went live here, and I'm excited about the show. I think it's going to be good. Oh, sweet. I didn't know you did that. Yep. Are you guys about to have like an intervention with me or something? Yep. Yep. Kind of figured. <laughs> sweet. All right. Jeremy. Here, here's the intervention. We're getting a kick, <laughs> kicking it off. All right. I'm going to turn you. You're going to be the first public adjuster to turn IA by the end of this. <laughs> there you that go. That would be. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know if that if that has ever happened that uh, for anybody that I'm aware of. I'm sure yeah. it has happened. But. It, it, yeah, I've I've met a one that I couldn't think of. That's and yeah. that's a whole other topic. That's I'm a whole. Curious other if you stayed in IA. Uh, Do you know? From if the other person stayed in IA, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm thinking of. Oh, probably. I mean, they probably probably not. I mean, the 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 way I think of it is. The one finance, the one big, one of the big differences, as you may or may not know, between a public adjuster and independent adjuster is the upside, right? I, the yeah. way that I see it, public adjusters, as a public adjuster, you do have you're invested more in a single claim than an independent, but you do have a heck of a lot more upside on one single claim. If I mean, if you're going to handle a $1 million claim and you're going to bring in 10% on that, that's a hundred thousand dollars that you're going to make off one single claim. You're not going to get that as an independent. That's just, that's, it's would never happen. So to be, a, so the, the natural progression is to go from making 500 bucks on a claim, 400 bucks on a claim to a hundred thousand dollars on a claim, right? Not vice sure. versa. So I would imagine, you know, that, that, that's kind of the upward trend of your adjusting career. So if you're going to go from PA to IA, I feel like that's, you're going in the opposite direction. So that, that particular person probably is not an IA anymore. They're probably a bartender. I would say. 
and we all need bartenders. Hey, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's a very valuable profession. Yeah. Um, so when did you, when did you get into the industry? How long ago was that? So I've been in the industry for about 11 years. I've been exposed to it for about 11 years now. I, I got exposed to it during her, I believe it was hurricane. I don't know if it was a tropical storm or hurricane. Uh, Irene hit the Northeast uh, back in 2011. It was, yeah. and I was a, uh, I was a bartender at that time. And bar, but I was a bartender at night and during the days I was hustling and, Ended up meeting some catastrophe adjusters and they told me about all the money that you can make in this business. And I said, yeah, all right, sure. Whatever you say, you know, just keep drinking and, you know, did a little bit of Google research. And the next thing you know, you know, a few months later, look at me, I'm a uh, licensed claims adjuster. You got your brand new shiny license. You're ready to take on any claims thrown at you. Yep. Yep. And how much training did you get? Not much, not much. This was, and this was, mind you, back in, I guess at that point it was 2000, 2000 end of 2011, 2012. Um, and there weren't many training options out there at that time. Uh, if you wanted to be an adjuster and not get, if you wanted to be an independent adjuster and not get started under the, you know, at the dime of an insurance carrier who has yeah. all of the training, you know, if you didn't want to be stuck in an office or, you know, live in that Jake from state farm life, you didn't really have my, and you didn't have, even if you had a general contracting background or restoration background, you still didn't know what it was like to be in an adjuster. Um, there was just very limited, limited training that was out there. All you could do is hope for the best, hope that you work f- with companies that are, open and kind to new people and that the people that you're learning from that you're that are mentoring you in this business actually know what they're talking about which as you go through this career you learn that more and more people don't know what they're doing here that does seem to be a trend even on even on the pa side so That's on all levels. That's what the term yeah. is. Well, it, it truly is. It starts yeah. from the, from every level of this industry. I agree with you, Jeremy. Yeah, it might even be worse for attorneys. Are there any property attorney trainings currently? No, yeah. you just got to yeah. be linked up with with somebody that knows what they're doing. You yeah. know, there's no textbook how to be a first party property insurance attorney. There's just uh, not. Yeah. right. <clears throat> well, well, you're giving me some ideas now. Yeah. 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 Are, are are we all drinking? Do, do we all have a beer right yeah. now? Except me. Yeah. Well, you need uh, to you need to change that. I got to step it up. Yeah. Have, to have right. some. Yeah. I, I was actually oh, thinking man. about uh I, when I I reached out to you before I was thinking about asking if you guys wanted to smoke a cigar on here and light it up. Ah, and I was yeah. <clears throat> I was gonna break out the whiskey and see Uh-oh. what. Uh, is is that a uh, is that a light sky? It is. Those yeah. are good. Man. You, that that's dangerous. Come, uh, you get on the lake or something. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they, those go down pretty pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, I got. Yeah, I had it. Uh, I got a pack of them. I went. I actually went out and hung out with a uh, public adjuster about over the summer, and uh, went out on his boat that he was gracious enough to let me uh, spend some time on. And I'm still working on, still working on these now. So, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Yeah. It's because of all that money that he made. 
There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's in the right direction. <laughs> hey, hey, Jeremy, you touched base on like the upside and I know there's different categories. We'll probably touch base on in the next um, 50 minutes. But you said the upside with a PA is, is more with a claim, you know, and that's obvious, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15 percent of any type of settlement um, <clears throat> or the uh, end of the adjustment of the claim. Just so people know, let's just say you as an IA write for, you used a million dollars as an example. So let's go back to the million dollars. You write for a million dollars, roughly, um, you know, how much is, how much is the IA making off of that claim? You know, for well, people, a lot of people don't know. Yeah. So here, here's a good, so it varies number one, but so, you know, the numbers that I use here, it's just going to be a roundabout, but so the way for the listeners the way it normally works for independent adjusters, we're working with a middleman, all right? And that's gonna be the, whether it's a TPA or just an adjusting company, people call them adjuster firms, right? So that adjuster firm is gonna be invoicing the carrier who they have a contract with, all right? They're the vendor, right? So they're gonna invoice them a certain amount and as an independent like myself, I'm gonna collect a percentage of that bill. So if it's a million dollar loss, um, one kind of good, number that they may go there's a few different ways it could be billed in the first place it could be billed off of a fee what that may land say between you know it could be 50 to seventy-five thousand dollars is one set amount 75 to 100 is another we could be billing based off an hourly rate or it could be billed off of a percentage and most commonly you'll find it where it's a fee and then it moves as the loss grows, say it could be a fee from zero to a hundred thousand. It's a, a, a set of different fees, but then after a hundred thousand, it may move over to a percentage. So just to keep things simple, I would say a good common percentage that you'll see adjuster firms charge carriers is about 2.5%. So on a million dollar claim, you're going to expect the adjuster firm to invoice the carrier 2.5%. So that's $25,000 right there to for their role in the claim. Now, out of that $25,000, an independent adjuster will collect anywhere from 60 to 75% of that. 75 is a much higher fee that you'll most commonly find during catastrophe situations. There's a couple other great, co there's a few companies out there right now that will give out 75% more commonly, but the industry standard is 60%. So on that million dollar claim, you would collect uh, $15,000 as an IA. Got it. So you're saying that an IA would make more money if they wrote more in the claim. Correct. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, uh, sometimes it's hard to uh, convey that, that you know, the more that we have to work, the more that we expect to get paid. I mean, that's the bottom line there. You know, I wouldn't want, there's no cash incentives for somebody like me to pay out less because then how am I going to, you know, in other words, communicate with the insurance carrier that I should be paid more, right? <clears throat> I mean, I didn't, I didn't become an independent adjuster to save the insurance carrier's money. You know, that's not why I got into the game. So yeah, the, the more, the, the more complicated the losses, the more expensive the losses, 
the more time it's going to take to handle that claim and the more time it's going to take to handle that claim that that's that's more money to make yeah and a lot of people a lot of people do know that but there's a ton of people that do not know that that well, the more it's been changing has has it changed over the years are there more people on daily than there are on a fee schedule what do you mean by daily like a, a certain amount per day for handling a certain amount of claims, daily claims. Is is that a thing? How else would an IA get paid? Um, I mean, th those three ways that I explained before, the fee, the percentage, and the hourly rate for an independent adjuster like myself, that is... Hourly, I guess. You know, that, that would be most of it. Yeah, the hourly would be similar. But you also can't really think of the hourly... Um, the same way as you would a salaried employee. Um, Remington, attorney, you have an hourly rate. I mean, we all have certain hourly rates, but we wouldn't then say that we wouldn't then compare ourselves, take that hourly rate and say, oh, well, that's it's that rate times 40. That's that's what we make. You know, um, you know, we're, we're charging like an attorney would or should be charging as an attorney would, as a CPA would, any of these, you know, professional services. Um, there are some companies that do like day rates and things like that. But right. usually if you're going to get paid a day rate, it's not in a, usually it's not in a daily sort of thing where you're checking out water heaters and pipe breaks and fires and things like that. That's going to be more common in the catastrophe field. And to be honest, that's, <clears throat> much more common with new adjusters that are out there, newly licensed independents um, because those daily rates typically, they don't typically make any sense. They, they, it would for me to work on a daily rate like that, it would never make any sense because those daily rates are usually like, it might be 400 bucks, 500 bucks a day, which, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, if, if you're not sure where your next meal is coming from, that that's a great, you know, that's a great pay for the day. You know, if, it, if you're just getting started and you're coming from a career where you might have made thirty-five, dollars $55,000 a year, yeah, five, six hundred bucks a day, you, that, that's fantastic. But for somebody like me, that's, that's one claim. That's maybe two claims tops for me to handle. I could go look at a property at 8 a.m. and I have it written up by 8.30 and I've made that 500 if not more at that point. And I got so many more hours of the day to keep doing it. So I don't know what it would take to write a claim in 30 minutes. That would be very it, impressive. It's it, well, we don't, we, you know, I, I got a buddy of mine, uh, Vince Perry. Um, and, and I, I picked this up from him that the typical, and I'd love to get your comment on it, that the average PA claim is about $30,000 on average. I think it's probably less than that outside of yeah. Florida. He would probably know Florida. <clears throat> less and, than and, that, and Vince has been on the show before. So oh, has he? Yeah, we yeah. we know Vince. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's a good friend of mine. We we talk pretty often. He he calls me with some policy questions here and there, so we can bounce ideas off each other. The um, I think it depends on the state that you're in. I think the average PA claim outside of Florida is probably closer to twenty five or, or even twenty thousand. Okay. Well, having said that, I would say for an IA, you know, we don't get as much meat on the bone as y'all do. You know, yeah. if I had to guess my average, probably like 5,000, 
something like that. Because I'm going to okay. get, you know, we're going to get a lot that just don't rank. You know, we'll, we'll get right. a $500 claim, $1,500 claim. We'll get the big ones. But for every $100,000 claim that I'll get, I might get 50, you know, one, 50 that are less than 10, you know, less than 10,000. So it, it averages out much more. So I might go into a house and all they have, they have a second floor foyer or a second floor bathroom that had a leak inside the ceiling cavity, put a little circle on the, on the foyer. The foyer is five by five. That's the claim, you know? So write that up. Brandon, I'm, I, I wouldn't make $500 off that claim, but I'll make a cool one, 250 off of that. And I'll do five of them before lunch. <clears throat> there you that go. Makes sense. But, and I love how we're just diving into things. I love this. We just yeah. started rolling. Matt, before we get off of this one subject, I have one question. And then Matt, I know you're going to have a sequence of questions, but Jeremy, <clears throat> let's say you write for a hundred thousand dollars. Is it go off of what you write for or what's approved? That was my next question. Uh -uh. Yeah, good question. That's a very good question. So there's no solid answer to that question. I hate, I hate to, I hate to not give you something good, but, but it's a very, but it's a question that is, uh, that, that a lot of people like me have to face. Um, it depends. It depends on the balls of the, uh, cause here's a bullshit for you. It depends on the balls of the adjusting company. Number one. Is that company, does that company have the fortitude to go to their client and say, if their client is rejecting and saying, hey, listen, this is not a $1 million claim here. This is, this is 600, right? So even though your, your guy wrote up a million, we need to bring that down because of our guidelines. We need to bring that right. down to 600. So we're even though gonna- your guy was a guy that was in the field, actually on site doing right. that, that was right. your guy. Right. We can tell from our computer screens that that's just not right. Right. Yeah. But they got a PDF. So they, you know, they feel like they know better, but, uh, so they want to bring that down. So then the question then becomes, okay, so where do we pay? We're going to ask the adjuster to the independent to make these changes and we're going to bring it down to 600. Then when do they get paid? Do they get paid based off of the, the million or the 600 that they had to change to? Because the work behind the million still occurred. And I've been a part of both sides. I've, had, I've gotten paid based off of what the original amount was. And I've gotten screwed at the same time where they've dialed it back and they said they won't do it. And like I said, a big part of that comes into whether or not that adjusting company has the courage to go to their client and say, hey, that's fine. If you want us to change this around, we'll we'll pander to whatever, but you need to pay our man and you need to pay us because since I collect a percentage off of them, that's their money too. And unfortunately, so you would only write what you believe is accurate and, and should be there, I would assume. So let's say you do that. You, you're only writing what you feel like is justifiable and they say no. There are times where your TPA firm or, or independent firm might push back and say, we'll, we'll play ball. We'll say whatever you want to say, but we're still getting paid for the accurate amount that we wrote for before. Is that what you're saying? Right. Correct. So, depends, uh, but wow, that doesn't, yeah. that that's a little shady. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it depends. There was a bit of an extreme example from a million to 600,000, sure. but 
Uh, yeah, that would be yeah, real, real, real shady. I mean, but you see it much more on a smaller level than that. You know, changes that may like going from let's say one coat of paint to two, or you know, yeah, or the baseboards, or how carpet waste is being calculated. I mean, they're very small things, and it might change a million dollar loss to nine fifty, and I'll still get sure. E I'll still get equally pissed off about that, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't want to rule out that, that million to $600, $600,000 example either. You know, there's certainly carries that are out there that'll pull some shady stuff like that. And, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that I love about being an independent. There's a lot I don't love about being an independent, but there's a lot that I do love. And the one thing that I do love, which I really wish more, this industry would be so much better if more adjusters thought like this, more independents thought like this. When, you encounter those companies, don't work for them. That's all you have to do is don't work for them. You know, at some point, they know the shit that's going on. They're justifying in their heads why they're not really a part of it. They're still a good guy. At some point, though, they have to realize that they should leave in order to maintain their moral compass. So if, if they've right. been with that same company for a long time, reasonably, arguably, logically, we could assume that this person doesn't have a moral compass. Exactly. I, you know, I would say that, or, or, or at least it's, it's heavily, heavily fogged by their everyday life, by their mortgage, by their right. other commitments that they have where they're their just going to justifications, gonna, right? Their justifications. Exactly. They're going to put sure. that stuff ahead, you know, because you don't want to, you know, it's, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you or listen that, or, or you project the guilt back onto the carrier and say, if you don't do it, they're just going to hire somebody else too. And you've got kids and you got to put them first. And that's an issue between the policyholder and the carrier, which a lot of that, you know, to an extent, absolutely true. It is on if the insurance carrier wants to screw their policyholders over that that's a decision that they're going to make. Right. But as an independent, we're not salaried. We are little tiny businesses, all of us, little tiny businesses, and we can choose to boycott whoever we want to choose to boycott. And if more adjusters thought that way, if more adjusters had the courage to take a temporary hit on their income and not work for the care. And, and by the way, most of those companies, a company that's going to make a 40% reduction on, on a big loss like that because of some guideline or, or some other set of rules, all assuming that the revisions that they're demanding be made are unreasonable. Sure. Not to say that sometimes they could have a point and it's just the IA that has no training and they're just throwing, throwing shit at the walls. But assuming that their demands are unreasonable, um, we we can make the decision not to work for them and it'll take, we'll have a small little temporary hit, but we could find other companies to work for. And that's the great, I mean, that's the greatest thing about being independent. It doesn't matter. I've written off so many insurance companies in my life at this point. And I can tell you right now I'm doing fine. And morally, like we'll, we'll name the good ones. Uh, it's, uh, it's always changing. You know, um, the companies I like working for today, I'll probably hate working for tomorrow. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I you know, during that. I think, uh, you know, what I will say for an example, right? One company 
that uh you know on my uh, Justin a six figures podcast plug uh, that I've ragged on plenty was a uh, USAA. I've I've dragged them across the floor a handful of times because you know they they pay their they pay people like me crap and yeah. and it's an insurance carrier for veterans it's, or it's an insurance carrier for you know service members right and and I've seen some of the shit that they've pulled. And it's disgusting. I they used say, to be so good, though. I mean, right. prior, prior to 2011, uh, the, the adjusters right. that I would meet with from USAA were, were fantastic. And they right. loved their job. And they really, I got to see the progression as they started going down the, the McKinsey model and, and started really screwing their IAs over. They, they would start charging back for things like Eagle Views. And, and yes. um, it, it was better for an adjuster to say no damage than some damage because of the way the fee schedules worked out. Right. That's a hundred. Oh, you know, your stuff. That's a hundred percent. Right. They had um, the way that their fee schedules worked out. It was, I forgot. So I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like you got paid the same amount or, or the difference between writing up a $1,500 estimate and writing up a $15,000 estimate. It was negligible. But writing up the $15,000 estimate, you would expect you're going to get some pushback. So there comes that little bit of efficiency incentive. Do you really want to write up a $15,000 estimate and have to deal with the bullshit that comes with it? Or for $20 or some very minuscule amount, ridiculously low amount, maybe have your own insurance policy where you don't have to deal with bullshit. You submit it, they're going to back it up. And that's it goes away forever and you can go on to the next one. So I say that to say this, it's my understanding and I can't sign off on this that I know at least USAA now pays people like me more over the last year, they raised it up and it's more average and I've heard that they've gotten better, you know? So it really depends. I, I would say if anything, the one more national insurance carrier that seems to have always kind of, stayed good to their policyholders. I mean, you have your Chubb is one, but not everybody can get have Chubb. Amika is another one that seems That's to have held. Favorite. So, yeah. you know, but but honestly, you asked me that question, those are the only two I got, that, right. you know, <laughs> out of right. hundreds. And everybody else might be cyclical. They, they might be great for a right. while and then shit and then great again. And, and we've seen other carriers do that over the years. Um, right. So just just wait it out, guys. It might get a little bit better. So if you are, um, and I don't know, did you have any more questions, Romans? I didn't want to step on your toes there. No, no, you didn't. I the one. No, that was a specific. It, hey, it's a breath of fresh air to hear Jeremy like talk about this and him having, you know, the the balls, if you will, to tell carriers, hey, I don't want your business anymore. Um, and and yeah. I think that only makes the industry better. Um, I make I think it makes the industry honest. And I, I think it should be that way on all levels. And I'm talking about, you know, for instance, engineers, let's just be honest, you know, when they're going out to a property, they have uh, certain things in mind and a little bit of an agenda. It happens. Okay. Right. But, uh, but no, I, I just appreciate, and, and it really is a, a breath of fresh air to, to hear that. And I wish all other IAs would, um, you know, have their moral compass, if you will, or business model the, the same, the same way. It's yeah. sort of a vicious circle, really. You know, I mean, you want the bi- yeah. You want the business, right? If you're an engineering firm, you want the business from an insurance care because that's that's revenue and that's a machine, right? That's a big insurance machine that's that's paying you out. And some of these bills that they that they put together for some of these 
you know, reports that, you know, that I've seen come through. I mean, it's, they're making good money. They're doing well. So what are you going to do? Are you, how many times are you going to write? Are you going to be able to write a report that does not land in the insurance carrier's favor as a vendor of the insurance carrier? You're going to lose it. And then you're going to lose it. And there's going to be another firm that's just starting out small little boutique and they'll take that contract they'll take that contract and say whatever they can they the insurance company wants them to say and it just and it repeats you know and the same goes for independence like me somebody could grow a conscience and then say you know what american strategic insurance i'm not going to work for you anymore (laughs) (laughs) and and that's it but then they'll find somebody else you know right absolutely absolutely All right. So if you were to, uh, if you were, you brought up engineers and, and I can't help. Um, Hank is teaching desk adjusters to identify damages at the desk. And they are the ones for the vast majority of roof related claims, residential roof related claims. They are the ones that have the authority, an IA or, or whatever field adjusters out there. It might be a staffer, but generally speaking, it's an IA. They don't have any authority anymore to make the call on whether or not something's covered. I'm curious how their fee would actually end up working out if they don't even get to make the decision on whether or not something's covered or not. But how do you feel about desk adjusters getting to make that decision? Oh, it's bullshit. You know, I mean, it's, it depends, you know, so I don't want to say, so it always kind of brings me back. I don't know so much about on the public adjusting side, but on my on the insurance carrier side, I always think of it as like we're paid to know more than the other person. We're we're paid to be the expert, right? To know what's what, right? And mm-hmm. for a lot of you know, for a, a percentage of us, we have the training and we have the knowledge and we have the background to be able to, at least with damn good accuracy, make those decisions. Right. And to be able to even look at a photograph and say, I know what that is. I don't need to discuss it. I know what it is. Right. But at the same time, the, I think there's a huge problem with some people getting drunk with that feeling of being right so that they end up searching for that feeling of rightness when there's – it's not really to be found. So all, sometimes you will have a desk adjuster that is deal, that, that may have a great background and you're dealing with an independent like myself that got a license out of Florida, out of Texas. They read one of my blog posts and they said, I want to make $250,000 a year. So I'm going to get licensed and I'm going to find claims and I'm going to make all this money. And they put together a bunch of garbage. They're replacing roofs during a hailstorm that really ought not to be replaced and the desk adjuster's coming in and saying, this is not hail and we need to change everything. You're not getting $600 for this claim. You're getting $200. Um, so that exists, though, at the same time, there are also the opposite of that. There's also the opposite where you have these desk adjusters that have been in the industry, that have, been, that have only been in, exposed to restoration and reconstruction for as long as they've been an adjuster, which is approximately, let's say six to 12 months. And during that time, they've had that, 
they've had that little sip of rightness all the time and they love it. So they're looking for any opportunity to, to, to show off what they know or what they think they know. And that will occasionally come out when they're dealing with maybe somebody like me or somebody with even more experience than me or somebody that has been doing this for 30 years and that may have designations and hack certifications and all this stuff that really knows what they're talking about. And they'll go ahead and revise that and come out and say that it's, it's very difficult because you don't really know where to draw the line. You don't know which of those two examples are really manifesting in any particular claim. Does that make sense? Yeah. Remington, have you ever sipped from the chalice of rightness? <laughs> I love, oh man, I love that. <laughs> I, I, I sip from the bottle of reasonableness. That's what I like. <laughs> okay. I, I will call it. I mean, seriously, if, if my, if I find some facts out about my client's case that affects us, I mean, it's, it's gotta be addressed. I, you know, my job is not only to represent the client, which obviously is what I do, thousands and thousands, but it's to be honest with them about their situation. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Hey, look, this data loss doesn't really look that good. I mean, I'm just being honest, you know, whatever it might be. Okay. Um, I, I do have those conversations and I have those conversations daily, you know. Right. Hey, there was a, there, something that popped up there. That I want yeah, to, uh, I, that, that I would love to attack for a second. Yeah, hit this. Yeah. Well, let so, me read it out to the uh, to the podcasters. I've heard of IA forced to write for repairs only. Then when supplement is approved by DA, the IA doesn't get his proper fee. And that's from Sorted's Home Improvement LLC. Yeah, right. that that that's some bullshit right there. That that's definitely happened. I know it happens. It's impossible for it not to happen. And and I think I think what he's what he's I was a little thrown off by that first sentence, but what I think he's explaining is if I were to write an estimate for ten thousand dollars, I think it's ten thousand dollars. I wrote up an estimate for ten thousand dollars. Then they come back and say, Listen, we're not um we're not gonna replace the bottom cabinets and we're not going to uh and we can match the floor, right? So right. uh they're gonna br bring it down at forty five hundred bucks. Okay, uh, well. If let's say in that case, I get paid $4,500 for my estimate. I, uh, I, I want, I was expecting 10. Now I'm getting 45 for it. Okay. Well then what happens later on is the contractor comes in and now the contractor is giving the desk adjuster a hard time. And now the desk adjuster doesn't have that same constitution they had once before. And now they say, all right, well, we'll pay this contractor wants 10 says the floor is no longer available and we can't match the cabinets and, yada 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 so pay out the ten thousand seems reasonable enough and that's that so so the chalice happened? of brightness for that desk adjuster is soured in a way it's just kind of sat there open top they forgot to put a lid on it yeah um and now, and now they're realizing they're not as right as they used to be right now it's all about time now it's just that they don't want to be bothered with the claim right. anymore so just pay the contractor it's probably unreasonable, but we've got so many other claims, so do it. And thankfully, contractor gets paid what they were what, what they were expecting. Homeowner gets what they were needing. Uh, the desk adjuster gets to move on with their miserable life. The IA still gets screwed. 
And the, and the Sorry, policy Justice holder Justice. was forced into a situation where the only way that they were able to get the proper benefits was by having someone right. complain on their behalf. I mean, it tracks right. with the with the McKinsey firm model. Right. You know, deny everything up front. Right. And who knows how long that process took? That process yeah. could have lasted an extra month, two months, could have been a year. Yeah. Over something Here's as stupid as question I start. I want to come. I want to bring this up. Um, this is a great question. It was a little bit ago. Jeffrey Bird asked, don't you worry about getting sued personally for purposefully leaving things off of a scope that you know should be there to make the desk happy and abide by bullshit policies? Why not turn anything a carrier does shady into the DOI and attorney general? Well, first, I'm not an attorney, so I don't I, I might need Remington to jump in here and 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 crack an egg of knowledge over my That's head. That's why he's here. But uh, <laughs> um, um, the 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 first question: Don't you worry about getting uh, sued personally? I would say no to that because um, I I don't work. I mean, there's always a chance it could go through my LLC. But if I were to get, I mean, anybody can sue you. It's just a matter of whether or not it's going to hold up. And if you get sued. Hope you have insurance to help you out with those costs. So there's also that layer of protection. There's there. some protection that most uh, states provide yeah. to the IAs, uh, where the the insurance carrier or even the TPA firm might be able to protect that adjuster from personal liability for any of these actions. Right. So, so I would I would then say at that point, Remington, maybe maybe you can comment on this if um if that were to happen, and I get brought in let's maybe just through a deposition and that's they're targeting me for purposely leaving things off of a scope. But then I come back and say, "Uh, -uh. here's my salaried carrier adjuster instructing me what to do, what to take off of it. And that is what brought you to, you know, the, the estimate that we're at right now would then, would that is exonerate the right word? Would that then, take me off and put the blame back on the carrier? I don't even yeah. know. Yeah, no. Uh, so first off, <clears throat> it would be extremely, because look, it's you're hired to go out to a property, scope it right for the amount of damages that you saw. This is your opinion. It's your opinion that this item should be within that scope. And I say that by this, it's hard to get sued, very extremely hard to get sued because of your opinion that goes now to a carrier to give their opinion and then now goes to an insured, right? Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's the carrier's decision on if they're going to accept your opinion or not and issue that um, as the uh, RCV or ACV value, whatever it might be. So I think you have layers of protection. Um, and, you know, when it comes to entities and stuff like that, you know, I'm a first party property insurance attorney, not necessarily like a, a, a corporate attorney, but yes, your, your LLC, that's what you're working under. Um, not necessarily your name, Jeremy, but uh, to go back on the only way I could really see somebody making a case for an IA being actually sued for a claim <clears throat> is if there is guaranteed fraud. Like, for instance, if there's emails between 
an IA and a carrier that's like, hey, I did see this damage, but I'm just going to leave this out of the scope and I'll act like I didn't see it. Right. right. We're talking about a whole different can of worms here. The fact that you wrote for something because it's your opinion. Hey, look, if you hire five IAs to go out to a property, I can guarantee you you're going to get five different scopes and five different numbers. It's happening. Right. It's your right. opinion. So you're in my it would be very hard unless there's some type of fraud involved. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. There you go, Jeffrey. Boom. <laughs> Boom. And and I'm I'm not a long-winded attorney. I mean, I could take an hour talking about that, but I like to just get to the point, you know. I mean, that's just the way we like yeah. to do things. Yeah, for sure. And I and I just want to also say, I mean, if if you're ever again, if you're in a position, you, you should never be purposely leaving, it. especially if if you're an independent. I don't care if you're an independent and or working for a, a carrier never purposely leave anything off of a scope. I mean, I mean, if you purposely leave something off a scope, you better have a bull, you know, ironclad reasoning. It's not covered. It's unnecessary. You know, <laughs> if, if it should be in there, it's gotta be in there. That's it. You yeah. know, oh, this, this guy, Jeffrey has posted so many good things. We, we've gotten a hell of a lot of comments. I've got a question I want to get answered to, and then I'll start pulling up some of these comments. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, um, yeah, bring it on. Adding to the conversation. Please keep doing that. We will get to those in, in a few minutes. Um, but I, I need to find out. It sounds like you've, you've got a hard place right there with the insurance carrier and on making sure that you get certain things put in there in order to make sure that you get paid properly, but also to make sure that the client does. Right. Um, and then you've got this rock that might be a contractor or a public adjuster that might be fighting you or convincing the policyholder that you're about to lie to them. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the bullshit you deal with on my side? So, you know, I don't feel like I deal with it very often anymore. Um, and I think that has that stopped a handful of years ago, mostly because of my own body language while I'm out in the field. I think that when you're new or at least this was my reality in the Northeast, when I first started, I felt like you could smell the green on me. And so certain public adjusters and, you know, roofers, they, they're smelling that shit. And they're like, Ooh, we're getting paid. We're going to tell him everything's hail. And, uh, you know, we're going to make a killing here. Um, but that really doesn't happen too often. And nowadays when it does happen, I mean, it's, it's black and white. You could see, you know, there's, there's a uh, one or two, adjust, uh, public adjusting companies up here that they'll, they'll still throw everything at the wall and they'll go straight to appraisal. They don't care. Um, but for the most part, especially if you're, if you're a day, you know, doing daily claims in your area, you're working with these people that you see all throughout the year. It doesn't matter if it's a storm or not, you know? So if you, if you're going to be a dick, you're going to run into that person again, and it's not going to make your career any easier doing that. So I, it's very rare. And at the end of the day too, even if you're just a hard-nosed PA or hard-nosed roofer and you just want bottom line, listen, I want bottom line too. Uh, let's get this thing up together. You show me everything you found and I'm going to document it. And if you got some crazy spin to how it happened or how it needs to get repaired, brother, I'm all ears. Let's, let's hear it. You know, and, and if I feel like I could put my name on it, I'll put my name on it. But if I don't feel like I could put my name on it, that's your battle. Now, if... It, it, Maybe you'd have better luck 
harassing the carrier for their unreasonable demands. Cause at the end of the day, I still gotta be a professional. You know, there's only so much bullshit I could sign off on in a single claim. You know, I'll give you a little bit, but I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to damage my own reputation in the process. Um, so I really don't, you know, I, I, I truly feel that if you go in there with 90, 95% of experienced PAs or contractors, if you go in there with the mindset that you want to work with them, that you're there to get this claim settled up, make everybody happy, make the homeowner happy, make them happy, you know, get the claim done quick so that I can move on to the next one and we can all move on with our lives. When you go in there with that mindset, I think it, it disarms a lot. It does a lot of disarming to the person that is your quote unquote adversary and they want to work with you. And they're willing to make concessions if they have to. They might have wanted those premium grade cabinets in the garage, but they understand a little bit more that they're made out of cardboard and they're not going to get that. So, you know, you, you're able to move forward a little bit better with them. So, but every now and then, you know, I, I, I would say more, more often than public adjusters is, uh, you know, storm chasing roofers that you'll get the, uh, that, that we'll still have the issue with. Cause they don't under, some of them don't have a sense of smell, so they don't know if I'm green or not. It's, and yeah, it's <laughs> all know. the steroids probably. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, uh, so they, they don't know they'll get on the roof and say it's not repairable. And it's like, bro, it was built in 2022. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, we could have some fights on that, but there's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to. Um, there, here's a good question. Uh, Jeffrey Burr with some great questions on here. Why are the policy provisions, not your guidelines as an IA? Why do you listen to policies, not in the insured contract of, and why do you listen to policies, not in the insured's contract of adhesion? So he's saying that the policy is an insured is the contract. But a lot of times the adjusters might say to us, um, that's not in their policy or they're, they're not going to approve that. It's not in our guidelines. As an IA, yeah. you're a licensed adjuster, right? Should you be pushing your interpretation of the policy over what the carrier guidelines are? I mean, isn't, that, isn't that what the desk adjuster is for, right? To, to, to see what Jeremy documents and scopes and then apply it. I mean, Jeremy is working for multiple carriers. He doesn't have the time to look at every policy. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm being, again, being realistic and reasonable. Like, I just don't see how he can apply that. To, that's the desk adjuster's job, in my opinion, like for the, for the most part. I, I, I agree for the most part. It, it depends. It depends. There, there are companies that, that, you know, someone like me can work for and we don't get the policy. You know, we don't know if it's an ISO or, you know, if it's some fancy schmancy policy or if it's an ISO. We don't know. They just want us to write things up and just apply like a general, I guess, what an ISO would cover, you know, and they'll figure it out from there. Then there are other companies that they they're going to give you the policy and they want you to write that shit the way it's supposed to be written and maybe even cite some policy language in your report. So it doesn't look like you're just throwing stuff together. Um, but, and I could be wrong here, Jeff, what um, he said, guidelines. Most often when, at least in, on my side of the fence, when we talk about guidelines, what that's inferring is related to the scope of repair. 
we don't really have guidelines when it comes to policy interpretation. There might be like a PDF cheat sheet or something like that that somebody put together, which if that's the case, I, I, I'm not, I can't recall a time when that didn't, that, that was inaccurate and an inaccurate representation of, of what the policy covers. Guidelines for scope, having that document being an inaccurate representation of repair methodology, that's, that certainly happens. So it, it sounds like that's the, the question is kind of a blend of two different things here. Um, but to answer an, a I'll question, I'll give you a specific circumstance or, or an example. I, I've had plenty of times where, um, uh, just, well, for an interior loss, it, it, it's in our guidelines. We only pay for one coat and it's correct. It's not really in the policy that way. That's, that isn't something that nope. is policy related whatsoever. Uh, it's in the estimatics and the guidelines and the operational guides right. for the for the insurance carrier so the the ia might not be allowed to write for two coats right unless it's, i as a public adjuster or contractor provide some damn good reasoning as to why it needs to be outside of the typical estimates right right that's not when an adjuster says that i mean I, i've i've never seen the word paint mess you know in a policy so but i but i have heard of adjusters saying that it's not in our policy we don't quote unquote owe for that um, you know, because it's not in the guidelines, it's not in the estimated guidelines. It's just, it's just people making up silly shit, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's the, yeah, go, go back to the, you know, USA example. I think they might be great now, but let's go back to old USA. At least if they come back and say that, you know, let's say USA stopped being crappy. They were just crappy from like 2011 to 2021, right? Let's just say they had 10 years of crappiness, but they're fantastic now. Right. You know, God bless her troops. But at what point? So you have 2021 and then you got 2022. And on New Year's Day, they decided to say, you know what? We're going to we're going to paint two coats on a wall now. <clears throat> Did the process to repair damage actually change at midnight? No, it's been the same this whole time. They just made a decision that they want to be nice. That's it. The poli They didn't change their policy. They didn't reissue everybody a new policy because they're doing two coats now. Everybody's got the same policy. They just they just changed a rule, just a made up rule. Like this one. That's uh, Jeffrey with with more commentary. I had a friend of mine from Kentucky Farm Bureau who was an IA, and he said one morning. Um, one morning meeting, the area managers came out and told everyone no full roof replacements. Only repairs were to be written. He was angry. His pay was based on what he can write. I, this is not the first time I've heard stories like this. I've had IAs tell me similar things. It's never in writing, these kinds of conversations. Right. Yeah, because that's a so smart the thing to do. Policy's not changing. No. Yeah, what do it's... you do with a situation like this as an IA? slap the shit out of that guy i mean yeah. i don't want to do that um at least you don't want to do it with the camera around it's uh what i would do you that that's my that's my curtain call right there i mean if if somebody came if i went to florida all right and i show up day one listen i gotta i'm i'm in new jersey i've got a family i've got three kids i don't want to be away from them if i'm going to be away from them 
I'm business. I'm there to make some money. And if the key to me making money is the higher estimates, finding more damage and the larger the estimates, if that is the key to me making money, I'm going to write to replace that roof if I can justify that roof being replaced. But if I show up on day one and this dude is saying no full roof replacements, or even if he doesn't say that directly and just you, you, you learn over the course of a handful of claims, oh, this house had 7 million missing shingles. It's 500 square feet. They're not replacing the roof. That's the sign that it's time to find somebody else to work with right there because you're not going to make anything. You're going to make very little off that company that you're working with down there. And all you're doing at the end of the day is just, is just feed and fuel in that unethical immoral machine right there. Don't work for them. Get out. You're not going to make money and you're going to be in depositions a year from then. So, right. Know, right. Like, well, you, well, you can make money off depositions. Yeah, that's, you not, that's not bad. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I encourage everybody, uh, you, you know, somebody recently re- reached out to me cause uh, you know, I, um, I don't put up, sometimes I'll, I'll post a video that's not entirely kind to insurance companies. And somebody said, aren't you worried that people are going to send you in for depositions? And, <laughs> Bring them on. I'll take them all. I'll take a whole week. (laughs) I hope they're all in Miami, you know, and I could just schedule (laughs) them all out. That would be ideal. I'll do a depot every single day, kids. And, and what Jeremy's talking about for some people that don't know, if you ask for an independent adjuster's deposition, um, you know, they have an hour, uh, hourly rate that attorneys would have to pay for the, for their time. Long story short. Yeah. I've gotten some good ones. Uh, this comment is glorious. Um, leaving items off the scope, knowing it's a valid item is fraud. I'm no Remington, but I did teach a fraud, waste, and abuse class for a major insurance analysis company. Uh, desk adjusters commit more crime than Hunter Biden. He said it. <laughs> Shots fired. Right. Right. You know, we were supposed to be talking shit about public adjusters in this episode. What the hell happened? Uh, we got on the laptop discussion, I guess. I don't know. Man. <laughs> um, that's, so, that's great. Are we supposed to be talking shit about public adjusters? I, you know, I kind hey, of thought we might go down that road. I got a question for you that might go down that path. Hey, hey yeah, Jeremy, we need to. I, think we, I think we need to. And, and if you could say, like, what – one thing that you just like uh, really gets under your skin about public adjusters and then also end it. I call it the, the, the sweep office. What's your like advice for, for PAs? Like when they're about to meet an IA or whatever it might be. All right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say number one, number one thing that I personally hate. Um, I would say, and you guys might have an opinion. I don't know. It kind of, it bothers me sometimes when, at least when I'm there. Okay, so the whole where you are by literally by definition advocating on behalf of the policyholder. I'm not saying that a public adjuster is not an advocate for the policyholder. I get that. And I also get how that could be great sales copy in an ad or a great thing to say to get them to sign a contract that you are going to be their advocate, all right? It's a great word, but I can't fucking stand. When I am there in person 
and they really pull the advocate card in front of me. It really what I'm trying to say is when they assume right off the bat that I am there to screw them. And even worse, when they actively communicate that in front of me, because then I just think you're a scumbag. And I could tell you, I could tell everyone that if you're just starting out as a PA or, or whatever the case is, it doesn't matter if it's me or someone else. You know, may, maybe somebody else is so freaking stoic, it doesn't matter. But getting somebody to think you're a scumbag usually does not promote a better career for you. Doesn't. I love that. It's yeah. a good standard. It doesn't, so you know. If you were to pull up to a, a property and you saw some schmuck with a weird hat on and his van said, let us deal with a bull, you wouldn't like that? Oh, no, that I meant to. That I'd be like, dude, I love that. <laughs> you know, that that's great coffee. You drive around in that all day. You're probably killing it right now. <laughs> Jeremy's, Jeremy's talking about when that public adjuster walks on site and starts going after Jeremy yeah. and, and thinking. Right. As if know, Jeremy he's not there thinks he's a bad guy. guy. Exactly. Right, right. Little, little you do don't they believe know. you're the bad guy. I think right. most IAs that I've dealt with are doing their damnedest to do everything they can with the handcuffs that they have. Right, right. Yeah, and hopefully those handcuffs are a little bit, you know, spaced apart a little ways. But but yeah, ultimately, yeah, I just – it sets a very negative tone for the rest of the experience with that person. So I would say the advice is basically it's, it, it would be the remedy to that. It, and it's just like what I said earlier about when you're working with a PA or working with a contractor. It's having the understanding that you're both in this claim together, right? And – I know that as a PA, if you're working with an IA or especially a staff person, you, you, I guess, maybe inherently have an uphill battle right there. So I think that for me, I am going to be more open and, you know, open to working with you on different things. If I understand that we both are humans and we have a human relationship with each other, right? I'm not going to treat me like a human, not as a robot, you know, be warm, be kind, offer the ESX if you want something like that, but just be some, treat the person as if you're going to be meeting up with them later that day, you know, after all your claims are finished up, treat them like they're your friend and you just happen to be on the same claim with each other. If they, once you get that connection like that, the claims process is going to be easier. Even if it's still hard, it's going to be easier than what it would have been. And especially if you're handling claims in, in, in a local area, you're probably going to run into that person again. Even if you get a bad go at, a, at one particular claim, that may not necessarily be the case the next time. I've had claims. I, I've gone out to Pete with, with – I've gone out to claims and met with a PA and I look at it and I look at him or her and I say, what are you doing here? Like, this is, this is like five G's right here. You got an estimate for 20. Like, I don't know what I could do. I could get 75 maybe. <laughs> and, you know, and then they don't get what they really want. I know they wanted more. They, they didn't come out there for a $5,000 claim. I could guarantee that. And but then on the next one, if I know that I could, you know, go a little bit above and beyond and do some extra on them, I'm going to do extra on them because we're going to keep a good relationship with them. I want them to be cool with me so they can be 
you know, I want to be cool with them so they can be cool with me and vice versa. Because at the end yeah. of the day, carry for a lot of the time, carriers don't pay us guys or us uh, us gals more for having to deal with bullshit. You know, unless we're getting paid oh, hourly, nice. <laughs> unless we're unless we're billing hourly for it, you yeah. know, that going back and forth over a seventy five hundred dollar claim because they want to get it to eight eight thousand. We don't get paid extra for that usually. Yeah. So there's there's a whole other can of worms I haven't opened, but we're at an hour. I, I really was hoping we'd be able to to get into um, the use of ladder assists and other third parties that aren't licensed adjusters and how that affects IAs. But I think that's a whole nother episode. Well, let me let, let me throw this. Let me say this because I've said this before, and and maybe. Remington, if you got an opinion on this, we're not really, so we're like, I'm licensed, you know, us independents, we're licensed too, but we're really just assistants at the end of the day, just with a little bit of credential behind us. That's what it is. I mean, if I go out there and I look at something and I give them my opinion and they just decide that they're going to take my opinion and change it around to their opinion, did I adjust the claim? Really, right there, I just gave an opinion the same opinion that an engineer would, the same opinion that a restoration company would, or a contractor or a roofer. I just, I'm just on the carrier side because I have a license, you know. So when they get those third parties out there, when I see, you know, they'll get like a Hancock is a big one, they'll get these guys out here that just got done, you know, it's Monday, they've been, you know, there was a Hancock house up by where I live or, you know, in New Jersey where there was like 10 Hancock guys. I was in this house and they would just get shit faced all the time. Young guys like 19, 20 years old, they just get hammered all the time. And then they go out and go look at roofs. And then the insurance company would believe them in whatever they say, because they would, you know, really just don't know what's going on. So they would just say, you know, can be repaired and they'd miss half the shingles. We're, I mean, it's, but those guys are also paid less too. So put yourself in the shoes of the big machine insurance company. So there's a company out there who's going to send some guys out that don't know what they're doing and they're going to throw together some BS and it's probably not going to be accurate. And it's probably going to lean more towards the repair side and you, you don't have to pay them as much, like even less than an independent. Sounds like a good good business model to me. It's yeah, a good and, business decision. And, and that's what I have written down to. And I actually had this conversation <laughs> yesterday with a, uh, um, a public adjuster that I've worked with for a long, long time. But uh, you as an IA, first off, you're licensed, right? You got, like you said, you got the credentials. Um, and, you know, like we talked about earlier on in this episode, you're, you're paid for what you write for versus a ladder assist probably has six jobs and he's hopping around and getting a $125 every time he hops on the roof. It doesn't matter, you know, and actually the carriers like them because, you know, maybe they're denying claims a little bit more than the IA is. And honestly, I think it's just a, a cheap. And, and again, look, I've met ladder assist. I I really like and, and, and respect and everything else. All right. So I don't want this to be like a slight, but I feel like it's, it's just a a cheap way. uh, It's just the, Totem pull under the IA. And I'm just being honest about it. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. 
I, uh, I have so many comments I want to add to that. Um, but but, hey, we need to do this. We need to have Jeremy yeah. back on in, in, in a month or two. And, and we have, yeah. uh, you know, what is it? Uh, the, right. the, sequel, the sequel. Is, is it possible yeah. to get asshole Jeremy in here? One that actually wants to fight us on some stuff? <laughs> no, I'm the wrong guy, baby. Not nah, me. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had too many uh, claims with adjusters like you where the policyholder ends up coming out and saying, I thought you guys were supposed to be fighting each other. And then I'll immediately turn to them and go, unicorns are real or something. stupid." <laughs> you know, that's it. For me, yeah. that's that that is one of the most oddest experiences when I walk into a house and and I'm sure the homeowner was expecting knuckles out like here we right. go. This guy's out to screw me, but this guy's going to be my superhero. And then I walk up and it's high fives. Hey, man, how you been? What was the last one we did the other day? Uh, what was that two weeks ago? Oh, yeah. 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 How'd that go? It was good. Like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what that's, did I get that's myself the majority into? of my experience? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, if, if you're developing relationships, I, I teach I teach PZAs this all the time. Don't be a dick. If you yeah. can just stop doing that, that one thing, even if you suck at, at putting together an actual claim file for someone, if you could just stop being a dick, a lot of things will start going your way. And, and then get better at putting the claim file together so that the IAs that are having trouble getting stuff past their management can't get this shit past their management and everybody's on the same page. 100%. I think... I think we all, if, if there's one thing that any of the listeners, I think, take from this podcast, um, whether or not they're active public adjusters, independent, whether or not they're in the insurance industry or not, I think it's tonight would be good to, you know, a, as we go into this evening and the, your day starts tomorrow, just try hard to not be a dick. And I think if we all try to not be a dick, as you know, more, I think all of us collectively will have much better lives. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your time. And uh, if, if you're willing, I, I would love to put you back on again um, in, in a couple of months and we'll get into some of the Lattaris's shit. hundred percent, but we got to do cigars next time. Let's do it. Agree. <laughs> Sounds good. All, all right. right, fellas. Thank you for all having right, me on. Up. See you, Jeremy. So today's episode was brought to you by the letter D. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think when Jeremy said, there, <laughs> I think when Jeremy said they're at the end though is is honest. I mean, look, everybody, everybody in this industry, their their jobs, they're not easy. I don't care if you're a contractor, a public adjuster, an IA, a desk adjuster, an attorney, an engineer. It's not easy work. And, um, you know, it it makes life in your job better. It's already difficult. So why make somebody else's yeah. life difficult or job more difficult? Um, you know, it's just um, at the end of the day, what goes around comes around. And I think it really does help you know, the old saying, you get more flies with honey than vinegar. And uh, I think that helps on a lot of a lot of these, you know, now, hey, there's sometimes you're going to run into that opposite person that is just. Yeah, the not everybody's going to be right. And, and it, it doesn't matter how you treat them, but yeah. the majority of the time it does matter. Yeah. But what if you took honey and vinegar and mix them together? 
you would get Matt and Remington, you know? You get, no. <laughs> Which one am I? Everybody really? knows you as vinegar, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great episode, man. No. I, I really, Jeremy, it was great insight. Um, you know, it it's a breath of fresh air. And I'll keep on saying that, hearing him about how, hey, like I'm just not going to deal with this this uh, carrier anymore. Um, you yeah. know, he, he enjoys quality of life, <laughs> right? He wants to go to bed at night uh, with his head on the pillow. So yeah, uh, he was yeah. able to smile a lot for UIAs that are out there that aren't smiling as much as you used to before you got that job. And you're feeling like that you're being forced to do some shit that you don't really want to do. Understand that you can get a job doing that with another carrier. And if you don't hurry up, there's going to be a shit ton. After this episode, there's going to be a shit ton of applications into Amika and Chubb, apparently. Um, so you better hurry up and get yours in before everybody else's. There you go. You heard Good it. for those companies. <clears throat> exactly. If you guys get a lot of stuff out of these uh, shows for some reason, I'm not really sure how you're even getting anything out of this. We're, we're just having fun. Uh, but if you are getting a lot out of it and you'd like to help support the channel, you can go to listen to this You can purchase some merchandise. You can get some t-shirts. You can get a, uh, you can get a beer mug or a chalice of rightness, which is what I'm going to call it from now on. And in, uh, in other things, I don't even remember what's on there at this moment. Um, but there's lots of different things that you can get on there. You can also donate to the channel. There is a way for you to just put a donation in. We do have expenses, but we don't make any money on this. So anything you can do to help keep us afloat and keep going would be appreciated. And we'll see you guys next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Remington, I'll see you later. See you later, bud. See everybody.